Welcome to the Real Estate Masters Podcast, a podcast with top real estate agents sharing insights of how they've grown their business. Every guest is unique and serves different markets, so you will find value in each and every episode. And now our host, Executive Coach, April Mack. Hello, my friends. It's so great to have you with us today. I have a wonderful interview. I know you're going to love this. I'm interviewing Brandy Hammond. She is with Mountain Luxury Real Estate out of Eden, Utah. And so often on the podcast, I ask the question, what sets you apart from your competition? What sets you apart in your market? And I don't know of anyone that has ever answered that question any better than Brandy does in this interview. She's in a small town and I believe their population is about 5,000, a lot of realtors, and they have about 40% of the market share in that area. Just She's done an amazing job of really thinking outside the box and building an amazing business. I know that you're going to get so much from this, regardless of where you're from. I mean, you may be in a metropolis area. You may be in the suburbs, out in the country, a small community like this is. But um, I believe that you'll just really be encouraged and inspired. Uh, Brandy's inspiring. You can just tell she is analyzing and thinking about her business and assessing how they do more and provide the an excellent service to their customers. So we're going to get right to this interview. You're going to love Brandy Hammond out of Eden, Utah. Hi, Brandy. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. So tell us all about you. Oh, no. <laughs> I am located in Eden, Utah. We're in a small town, and I've been in real estate for about 16 years now. I own my own company and absolutely love real estate, but all the pieces about it, not just the sell. There's just so many facets of owning the business that I've thoroughly enjoyed over the years. Wow. So you're a small community, you say. Tell us about that and and the location you're in Utah, beautiful, beautiful state. I know. So we're located between Snow Basin, Powder Mountain, and a little resort called Nordic Valley. And the middle of it is a lake uh, called Pine View Reservoir. So we kind of have the best of both seasons, but we're, I call us a third tier ski town. So you have Park City that everybody knows, but even in Salt Lake City, which is Utah's biggest city, it will say we're from Eden and people will just look at me kind of cross-eyed, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So we're, we're this teeny town, which, you know, marketing wise and market share and the size of the market had always been a struggle, but we kind of figured that out and over the years. And it also it created this opportunity to look at real estate entirely different than anyone else did, which I think has been our strength and our success over time. Hmm. So tell me more about that. So when you go into a normal real estate market, say, and you list a house, there's buyers available for that house and you have some constraints. You have like a six-month inventory is a pretty stable marketplace. In my market, a one-year inventory was a stable marketplace. Way less buyers. We're talking a market that has maybe... I mean, over the years, like I track the data very heavily, but but just in a normal market, you'd see about 180 total transactions and then land would be maybe another less than 100. So 250 transactions in your whole market. And you still have this small town with a lot of agents. And so we had to figure out like, how do you find people? And I would say 50 to 60% of those are out-of-state buyers that have no clue. And if you imagine, yeah, you're going to Salt Lake City, which is an hour away and they don't know where you are. Mm-hmm. Trying to market to like California, New York City, Florida, you're just really kind of swimming up Niagara Falls as this little teeny clownfish. Like it was just so hard to like figure out what would work, how you can make that work. And we we worked through it and made some pretty big changes over the process. But yeah, it's it's been interesting to try and swim in a teeny tiny market. And we love it here. So it's not like we don't like it. It's it's where we want to be. So it was sure. Cool problems. So what is the population in Eden? It's about 5,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. And and then you have second homes. And so you're probably around 7,500 homes total. And we do have a wee bit of a boom, like we call it the, the COVID accelerator. Uh, COVID mm-hmm. has had a lot of people coming this direction just to be out of the cities. But yeah. And did you grow up there? Is that home to you? 
I did. So I grew up here, but then I moved away and I worked in biotech, but I lived in Boulder, Colorado. I lived in Philly and I lived in California. And then when I started having had my first child in um, actually Philly, we moved to California and then just decided to come home because it's a really cool place to live. Mm. And lots of snow there. Yeah, we have a lot of snow. So we have skiing. We had the downhill for the Olympics here that was hosted at snow basin. We have tons of trails and then you have the lake in the summer as well. There's rock climbing, there's ice climbing. My husband's a nut and he paraglides like off of powder mountain and lands on the golf course. Like just, if you want to do something dumb and stupid and adventurous, you can probably figure it out here. Wow. It sounds beautiful. So, so you, you're living there in this market where did, had you done real estate before you moved there? No, I actually, uh, my degrees in biology. So I sold biological equipment for high throughput screening of drug discovery. And I also prior to that did DNA synthesis and anything with the human genome. Like we sold to some companies in Utah when I lived in California. So I did corporate sales for probably five years. And then just didn't align with working for someone else. I really decided to start my own company. And so I bought, I kept my job and I was pregnant with my second child. Oh, wow. That did like a little stress in your life. (laughs) Yeah. So I was pregnant and I'm like, no, I don't want to work for somebody anymore. So I went out, I bought everything I thought I needed to buy. I bought a commercial space. I bought four rental homes and started remodeling those. And then I was like, okay, I'll get the loans. And then when I quit my job, you know, those will be rented and, you know, I've started my rental thing. And then, and then I decided to get my real estate license. But my original concept was take people with college degrees, have them assist people in negotiating contracts. Cause I was like 6%. What, what are you paying for? Like, I just kind of thought it was just crap. You know, I'm like, I don't want to pay that. And even when I sold a house in California, which every time somebody beats me up on commissions, now I know it's pretty much karma. But I remember beating that poor agent up. I was like, what are you doing for me? And to be fair, they didn't do what we do. But I I went through this process of kind of analyzing real estate. And I got my license and I went with Remax. I quit my job and parked with Remax for six weeks, found a partner who had his broker's license and we launched our own company. Wow. Um, Yeah. And so I I never was indoctrinated in the normal real estate path. And I think there are good things that came from that. And there were probably things I had to learn the hard way, like 6%, 7%, 5%, 2% commission and like what that feels like, what that looks like and what you can do with that and what that value should be. But it was a very interesting transition and, and very hard. I would say like it was, it was hard work. So w- you talked a lot about commission right there. So what'd you settle on? What'd you come to feel like is the right thing? So we have settled on, we push our agents to go for 7%. That really doesn't fly in the market very well because we, we're actually competing with some really discount brokerages in the area. And I sell a lot of high end. We're very much a luxury brokerage. So we end up with six, I would say most of the time. Land deals, we've actually increased to seven and 8% just because they're more marketing. Um, and, and prior to COVID, to be fair, if we took a listing, it wouldn't sell in 60 days, right? Like, so the marketing we do, um, we have a pretty extensive marketing plan. We have a full staging program. We do repairs on their home. All of that costs a lot of money to do a really good job. And so we haven't actually had any pushback on our commissions. Some of those repeat clients we do give discounts to just out of that consideration that they are. We know they're easy to work with. They're not going to you know, call us 24-7 and be crazy. So, And they just are so unbelievably loyal to us. And so really 6% has turned out to be a place where we can hold our margins. But it's funny because I do have agents that work for me. My agents tend to try and discount, but they'll fight with me over their splits. <laughs> like, I, I, I can't pay you more money if you're not willing to like make your time worth that money as well. You have to kind mm-hmm. of like figure that out. It's really, that's an interesting dilemma as being, cause I am a broker with, we have 20 agents. So. Yeah. So, so tell me, so, so you own the company, mm-hmm. do you still have a partner or is it just you? No, it's just me now. So over the course of five years, partners are interesting. That partner in particular didn't want me to know his age I don't know if he was funny, I guess. And I was younger. I was in my early thirties. And I think he probably felt 
a little threatened. I didn't realize he was quite a bit older than me. He lived young, he acted young, but I think his age was something he was embarrassed about or something. So, I mean, after a year and a half, we split. I did take on two other partners. I'm always like probably overly generous. That's something I've learned not to be. I took on the other two partners and they ultimately, one stuck with me for five years and then the other one left. And then she came back just to be an agent. She just, she's like, I can't work like that. And, and to be fair, I was pushing 60, 70 plus hour weeks and, you know, with kids and that's, that's just a lot. And partnerships are hard that way. Cause I was the one making the money. Like I am really, really good at sales. Like that's my strength. And so my other partner was a little more administrative, but didn't necessarily have the same work ethic and the same drive. And so that's a really hard imbalance in partnerships. So she did move on and now it's just me, which is fine. It's been fantastic. And all the partnerships we do now, if, if we do something are on a 50, 50 equal cash in, you know, equal strengths coming to the table. Gotcha. So how many people does this team consist of? So we have behind us, we have a listing coordinator, a transaction coordinator. I think the thing that differentiates us the most is actually my marketing team. So I have my marketing director who started out as my designer, but my marketing director, then we have another, I would say designer. And then we have an SEO. She's also a designer too, but she does social media and our emails. And then we have an SEO journalist writer I have another, we have another photographer, a drone photographer and photographer and writer and one more writer. And so that's like the marketing department, which is insane. And then behind- And how many people is that? I wasn't counting. I was writing down like what you were saying. Seven but people. Yeah. Like it's, seven. it's ridiculous. And for 20 people to have that many marketers behind you, but, but we do look at things a lot differently than other companies. Like I'm like, there's the part that the company does and the part that the agent does and the part you're doing for the consumer. But then we are also very focused on like, where is real estate going? Where should we be for a consumer? You know, if real estate in my mind is taking a segmentation, right? You have, you have some companies that are going for the commodity approach, like just slam the deals through, throw the houses up. It doesn't matter. Just get them on the market, process the contract and move on and take a flat fee to the other extreme, which is definitely where we lean is that high touch, high quality. We're going to make everything look its best. We're going to give you the best marketing. We're going to make sure it gets top dollar, right? Like they're just, they're, they're two different consumers and they're two different mindsets entirely. So I went with the latter, but that's just my DNA. I can't go the other way. It like causes me stress. So, (laughs) so yeah, we have a huge marketing team. And then in addition to that, we have web development. So we have two web programmers that are working on new technology all the time. And then we also have a whole lodging. I bought a lodging company maybe five years ago because vacation rentals are big here. And dealing also with like a seasonal rental component and long-term rentals. And so uh, that was a whole nother adventure in real estate. And it's it's a hard, that's a hard, hard business. So. Mm, yeah. So some of that, do some of your... Uh, people on this team kind of work both the rental property and also in the listing and selling part of the real estate business? A little bit. So my current director of the lodging side, she was probably our third highest producing agent and she moved over to run that side. She's been with me almost 10 years now. And I think, but she's also, she's always been on a salary as well. So we have very different agent structures than most places. So she still does transactions in her free time. Um, And then our long-term reservationist still does some transactions. But I mean, they're doing a gross commission of, you know, my main one's probably doing 180 and the other one's doing about 100. So, and they're on a 50-50 split. So, you know, anybody on salary is on a 50-50 split here. And so it, it lets them maintain their client base and but not be a full-time job. Yeah. Well, it's incredible what you've built in this town of 5,000 people. I'm quite amazed with the way that you're marketing. Are you, so obviously you're, you want to have listings so that you market your listings. So do you feel like you're 
And then are you selling most of your own listings? And so how is that, how's that falling out? So it's interesting. So my first priority early on was making sure we had a good, well-established website. And so our website, it's funny, like, I don't know how many people from Zillow will listen to this, but like my goal in life is to be Zillow and a SERP. Like (laughs) I just am like... I just, there's, they don't bring a value. And Utah's a non disclosure state, which means the Zestimate sucks. Like they're all over the map and they are getting better. Uh, you know, as they get more data points, the data is narrowing in. But, but when you go to a third party site that has no local agents, you know, and, and especially because we're the small ski town, people that, and we did, we did a test. We spent $20,000 on Zillow leads and really like what would come of that. And it wasn't great. You know, our end result was the consumer's a different consumer. And they were always looking for deals, you know, like the, hey, do you have this deal that, you know, I want it next time something comes up that you know is just killer and the buyer and the seller just wants out. And I'm like, you know, those markets were okay coming out of the recession, but they've just changed immensely. So and I and I take that client if they want a deal and I just I'm like, no, like let's put in the carpet, let's put in the paint and we'll even fund that. Like we really try to put our client's best interests first. And I'm like, I'll pay for that because you shouldn't lose three times the cost of carpet and paint because you won't put it in or you don't have the money. You know, like that is a very easy return on money. And so we just get paid back at closing. So we do go out of our way to make sure that like no one gets taken advantage of. There are people who just don't want to deal with it. And, you know, kids who... So you're saying you would put the carpet in for the seller or for the buyer? For the seller. Yeah. Yeah. Because in my opinion, and I think all agents would agree, a buyer perceives that as being like five times as expensive as it is. Not Mm -hmm. carpet, but carpet will double. But you know, once you have two or three repairs, the number gets this multiplier and you're like, I have no idea how you multiply like that. But okay. And a seller multiplies it in half. Like they cut everything by maybe a third or something. So I just giggle. Well, as I sit there and go through that, the website became uber important to us. So we rank in the top. um, We're either first position, second position, or third position for every term that we want. We do unbelievably well at that. And we generate 160 leads a month off of our website. Wow. Which is, yeah, it's really big. And then, so I invest heavily in technology and changing some things that I feel like consumers should have. And I, I just don't know why some of the big boxes haven't done them yet. And then, after web technology, then I focused a lot on marketing our listings as far as, you know, just new book. Like we do a magazine, we do that twice a year. We do a memorandum for any house that's over 2 million. So that's almost, uh, it can be between 50 and 60 pages, but it has everything you need to know about the property, utility costs, caretakers, every amenity, house plans, landscape plans, surveys. So and then our, our houses that are under that still have a really beautiful book. So we try to come out with pieces that we feel add value and, and buyers can remember the home when they leave. Going to this, and I don't want to get off subject because I think you're on a roll and I don't want to interrupt you and not let you keep going through all that. But did it evolve that you realized that all of these things needed to be done? You surely didn't start all these things at the beginning. But obviously you saw you're in this small town And how do you set yourself apart? And so you just started brainstorming and thinking, you know, what do we do? I mean, how have you come up with some of these ideas? So it really started every time I'd run into a problem or I'd run into something that wouldn't work or I'd run into an agent euphemism, which would be open houses don't work. I think that's my favorite one. (laughs) Like open houses don't work. I'm like, why don't open houses work? Like, so over the course of 16 years, you know, you wake up and you're like, I have to sell this house. So number one was photography. Like I stepped in and we just started changing the photography and you, know, you don't leave magnets on the refrigerator and clothes or toothbrushes on the sinks. Like to me, I'm like, okay, let's start at the base level. Cause the town I came into, no one cared. And when no mm-hmm. one cares, no one needs to care. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I do feel bigger markets have this level that like somebody set the bar because somebody cared at one point and it drew everything up. So I was stepping into a market that I think was probably behind the times. And, you know, really 16 years ago, we didn't have the iPhone thing going on. Like there was still a lot 
to figure out to get good photos, right? To be fair to everyone now, photography is getting better and better. Like it's un- it's amazing what photography sure. does. Yeah. So, so we really did start with photography and staging. Like the very first house I listed, the owners were awesome. They let me change the carpet, change the paint. They moved out. We got amazing photos and I didn't stage it, but I did do the repairs and we sold that. So and they were what getting- kind of price would that house be? That first house I sold for like three fifty, three seventy five. Okay, because it's interesting and it puts in context to think about these things that you're doing to this listing. That's not a three million dollar house. That's no. a three hundred fifty thousand dollar house, right? Is that what you yep. said? Yep. And you're going and you're putting money into this right on the front end. Very interesting concept. Yeah, and I and a lot of I mean, you have to just have a strong contract. Those owners actually paid for it, so that was my very first deal. And they, you know, he owns a business, so he's an entrepreneur too. They just were like, yeah, like, let's do it. And they, they were amazing. They're still friends to this day and I still sell their properties for them. And every time they come in, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're still my first clients. So <laughs> they're just love it, love yeah, it. amazing people. But, and, and to be fair in the market at that time, there hadn't been a sell in this area over a million dollars. So it wasn't like it was a luxury market when I started, which is kind of silly considering I chose the company name Mountain Luxury. That was kind of dumb, but it's worked out okay in the long term. And so I slowly, you know, you look at what other people are doing, right? I think that's obviously always a really good start. And because maybe there's some value there, but then you learn what open houses as they were being done were done like. And I'm like, that doesn't work. And I'll say, I probably screwed up the first five years of my business because I didn't have a great CRM. Like I didn't track my clients very well. You know, it was Microsoft Outlook and a Excel spreadsheet and, you know, no email tools really besides Microsoft tools. Like hadn't really figured that out. So, you know, the one thing is I am curious and I would always try to figure out like, what can I do better? What can I do better? So open houses, we jumped on those and we send out postcards. Like we'd send out this valley has about 5,000 homes. And so we'd send out 5,000 postcards for these open house events. And we wouldn't do one house. I would do a couple houses, right? So trying to expand that. Since then, postcards are really cool. And I highly recommend to anyone who's an agent to definitely do postcards because one print and, and do unique, don't send recipes like that's no good. But um <laughs> Like, but if if you do market your properties, which is our job as agents or to sell homes, right? Put them on a postcard, send them out. It's hard when markets are hot. You know, we definitely scaled back our open houses because by the time I get my postcard printed, the, the house is sold. So yeah. yeah, and you can do it with email still, but even an email takes preparation. You send it out and you're still three weeks in advance. So it's hard in this market, but in a normal market, like we send out emails or we send out postcards to the areas we want. And we use EDDM and EDDM is super cheap. So you saturate an entire postal route and you can go onto the post office's website and you can find those postal routes. So if you're farming an area, you should EDDM that all day long and also send them like market stats. You can be like, Hey, the market's gone up this much or down this much. Here's the highest sell. Here's the lowest sell. And on the other side, you can have the house you have for sell. I've never been a proponent of marketing an agent though. I just, I don't think that's what people want to see. Right. Yeah, you're right. It's all about what, what is it going to benefit them? So if, if you're not going to benefit the, the potential customer client, then yeah, they don't care. You're right. Exactly. It doesn't to promote an agent, how many sales they've had and all of that. They don't care. So, so now you do that. Well, I'm sure in this market, you're not doing that so much with open houses, but that's what in a normal market, that's kind of how you would handle open houses. Yeah. And so some open houses get as many as 15,000 postcards sent out. But by the time it's all said and done, your total cost is about $3,500. Like, and you're, and we're promoting around 10 houses on those postcards. So it's really, so we've gone to a really cool oversized postcard. So we worked with our printers and that's where the marketing team comes into play. My head marketing guy, Andy is fantastic. And so We'll be, we always try to just think, well, we don't need to do it the way everybody else did it. Like, let's figure out what works with the post office, what, what works with paper sizes, right? You don't want an odd size. It creates a lot of waste. So we've gotten really creative with that, but still keeping the quality high. So good saturation. We'd use 
a UV spot, a UV coating on one side. We do an aqueous soft touch on the other side. And then there's so, yeah, there's so much cool stuff. Like, like print is fun to me and it's, it's a dying art. I feel like, because it is work, you know, it's, you have to prep the design, send it to the printers, get it to the mailings. There's some work there. And you have to make sure you didn't do a typo because that can just backfire any look worse than <laughs> what you're trying to do. But yes. Yeah. So what kind of a response do you usually get? Like how many people will show up at an open house? If you've got a town of 5,000 homes. We'll get anywhere from 20 to 40, you know, but if I get a snowstorm on that day, we're hosed. And some days it's like on fire. It's just really bizarre. I'm, that's one thing I've not cracked is like the best open house day and that formula. Yeah. Do you usually then sell the open house or you're getting leads more getting leads from the open house? So one thing I did, so after that first five years of just probably running with your hair on fire, just, you know, running from deal to deal, we got really good at keeping track of our leads. And so the database that I have, um, and I'm really good at emails and email campaigns. And so it was what we did is all of those leads that come from open houses, come off the website, everything, they all go into, we use follow-up boss, which is a fantastic CRM and it's simple enough, like anybody can use it, which I think is key for any tool a real estate agent uses because if it's hard, you just won't use it. But exactly. Yeah. So, so the thing we started doing is every lead source is tracked. And so if they come in through our website, it feeds into follow-up boss. You know, when we did realtor.com leads, we would know where those came from. We tracked all of our Zillow leads. So I have everything attached to a lead source, including the open house events. So when you end up with a database of 15, 16,000 people, the coolest thing happens. Like a lot of people start their process at an open house. They might not buy at the open house, but it does or can turn into a sell because we move them into the database and we only email people once a month. Like we don't go over that because it's really super annoying to get stuff you don't want. But and yeah, and we add them also to our mailing list. So we do a magazine and then we do the postcards. So they're still in that list, but we see, I think about 4% convert to sales off of open house events. What was the percentage? Four. Four percent. Mm-hmm. So the magazine, tell me about that. So we, a long time ago, um, before the recession, so I have like real estate's kind of like pre-recession, post-recession. <laughs> so, when yeah. you, so before the recession, I did without my marketing team, I used third-party companies. We designed basically a book full of all of our listings and some cool articles just on the area. And then the recession came and all that kind of marketing went away. Like we had to focus on REOs and short sales and all kinds of stuff. But then after the recession, I brought in Andy and I was like, yeah, at some point we need to bring this magazine back. And so him and another one of my marketers at the time put together an eight page spread and it was awesome. And they had done it when I was out of town and they're like, we just want to surprise you when you came back. And it was cool because there's always so much to do. And they made this huge effort. And I think we put six or seven houses in it. And I was like, yeah, like, let's run with it. Let's go. So we printed it, sent it out and we brought it back to life. At this point, the magazine though is about, it's 60 pages on average, sometimes a little bigger, sometimes a little smaller. It does feature all of the properties that we presently have listed. And then we go into detail, like we just did a conservation easement on a ranch. And so we kind of went into the whole story of the ranch, how the conservation easement happened. Um, We have a lot of backcountry skiing here. So we went into one of the nonprofits and did a story on them and, you know, some backcountry avalanche safety things. We did a thing on the area ski team, which I sit on that board, just trying to help explain the programs and like kind of what's offered there, just the community knows. And then there were like two other articles in the magazine. And so that, and then a, a section just on us and how we do our properties and stuff. So we send that out and, we get so many calls off of that. And it's the thing that print does that I don't think agents understand is it validates you. Like anybody who touches it, like it's aqueous, it's a soft touch aqueous coat on the outside. So it kind of feels like velvet. We use local photographers on like, so like the exterior shot is like a skier, like tearing down a hill. It's beautiful. And the sun's coming through the trees and you're just like, Oh, I want to live there. You know, like it's high yes. quality 
Yeah. And it, and when you produce something like that, and I, and it doesn't always have to be a magazine, like that is a $40,000 expense every time we do it, but wow. Yeah. You can do something less that still, when you hand that to someone or someone touches it, they immediately know something about you. They know you care. They know that you're going to do quality work. They know that you put your money where you say you're going to put your money. You know, a lot of people are like, I do all this marketing and you're like, I just haven't seen anything come out of that. And I think that's really a big seller's complaint is like, I am told this really great story but the execution isn't there. So that magazine is fantastic. And we do EDDM that out as well and send it to a mailing list. So don't you think too, though, the quality, I mean, what you're describing to me, it sounds like it's not something someone is just going to very easily throw away. Like they're going to give give some thought to that before they just go throw it in the trash. And I I think that that's something so important about quality. Do you sell any ads in it? We started early on doing ads in it. And honestly, that is like herding cats. (laughs) Yes. I can imagine. Yeah. And like the, and then you get really ugly ads, which is sad, but you have this beautiful book and then it kind of turns into a coupon book when people give you the same stupid ad that they put in the in the coupon discount books. And I'm like, oh, we can't have that ad, you know? So then we're like beefing up their ad, trying to clean it up and make it better. But we're just, I mean, to be fair, we're great. I think one of my staff actually said she's just really picky. But, yeah, you know, we want everybody to look their best. We want our clients to see them at their best. And so we did, I do have an artist that ran an ad with us this time. But I just backed off. We had this bull ski resorts running ads with us. And we're I'm not a publisher. Like I we yeah. really did realize that. Like and and it kind of it can diminish what you're doing a little bit. So we do allow a lender here and there. It was funny, the lender, one of the lenders we work with, she's really cute. She's like, I want to run an ad, but you can't tell me three weeks before. And I'm like, okay, well, the next one's going out in October. So have me your ad by October. She's like, okay. So, you know, we, we don't, you know, we did that for a while, but I just, the effort was not worth money. How do you distribute the magazine? So we do the every door direct mailing. So we saturate the zip codes again, the way we do with the postcards. So you're also, so you're, you're hitting the same houses, right? So they see you a few times. They see your postcard come out. They see your magazine come out. And then we also run a list from title of everybody that owns a house that's out of state. So they'll give you a mailing address and a property address. And when those don't match, we take the mailing address and we mail to everybody that's in an area that we're not hitting with that saturation. So um, we distribute it that way. And then we also put it in some of the local restaurants and then all of my lodging properties end up with a magazine in it as well. Gotcha. Oh, that's smart too. You've got renters there that, yeah, may turn into buyers I yeah. like that. Interesting. And you just feel like that you get the return on that investment. It makes it worthwhile. You know, a lot of times I think in markets, people go in and have to compete for listings. When I get a phone call, I would say one out of 10 is competitive. I normally just get a phone call that says I'm ready to sell my house. What can I get? It's a very, yeah, it's a, it, it just changes the conversation because no one puts that effort into anything. And so they just, there's not even a conversation to be had. It's just different. It's a really weird transition. Yeah. So how much of your business is with listings and how much with buyers do you think? It's about 50-50. We have slightly, so revenue-wise, transaction-wise, it's really close to balanced. Revenue-wise, I think we have 7% more of our income comes from listings. Interesting. Yeah. So what all you've explained and what a business model. I mean, this is incredible, Brandy, and I am so amazed I mean, honestly, to move into a small town and start from scratch and to have, I mean, what do you think is your market share there? We run just under 50, like 40% is about our market share. That's amazing. And how many agents are in the area, you think? There's a lot. <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> but yeah. quite a few. And you know, and yeah. you have builders and and developers and their agents as well. But we still outperform all of them, and we have great relationships. So we sell everybody's product, and sure, yeah, yeah, it works well. Well, and there's always going to be somebody that's got their mom, their sister, their aunt that sells real estate that, you know, they're going to list with them. But is that your goal? I mean, are you content with that 40%? Uh, That's not a trick question. I mean, because I think that's amazing. 40% is unbelievable. Well, I kind of just figure if we always do a good job, it kind of does its own growth. Does that make sense? Like, sure. Because there's this other piece of real estate. And it's funny because I was actually telling somebody this this morning. Like, Definitely when I started in real estate, I was so much more aggressive and really worried about market share. But I've changed my mindset quite a bit because the people around me, they're, they are competing with me, like the other brokerages and brokers and stuff. But the reality is, is like we're not competing with them anymore. Like We're competing with ourselves. And the people who see us they resonate with us. And we could be more aggressive, but there's some tactics I won't implement. Like we don't cold call. I refuse to cold call. Like I am like that. So many brokerages, like that is like the mainstay of their business. And it's that pushy, hardcore sells and no one feels good about it. And it doesn't mean the agent's not going to do a good job. I just, I don't ever want somebody to feel like that from an interaction with us. So, so I, yeah, could we take more market share? Absolutely. If I went after just focused on that, we could, but instead we're just growing into other markets that have a need for this kind of marketing, right? And this kind of attention. It's like just we just I just got a call maybe, I don't know, last week and the clients are like, well, will you do five percent commission? You know, and I just said, honestly, no. But in place of that, I am going to make sure your house looks amazing. I'll handle your move. You know, so he's like, well, I need to pull out part of my furniture. I said, well, I just, I work with Bailey's moving and storage. I'll have him there. We'll, you can tag everything you want gone. We can coordinate that when you're gone. He's like, oh, you do that? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I don't need to do that on Saturday. I'm like, no, like it's not a big deal. Like I've had people who come sell their house and they never come back to their house. We just ship their whole house. I've had it packed and moved and you know, everything's done. We coordinate the repairs. Like they really don't have to do anything. So that service level, there's places for that, right? And so we're just like expanding that kind of service to resonate versus trying to just get more and more aggressive here. I feel like our marketing is how I would like to be marketed to, honestly. And so I just am really conscientious to not cross that line because I I think real estate isn't always going in the right direction. Sometimes I'm like, ooh, that's just dirty business. Like, yeah. Would, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you just so appreciate, and I've, I've been so blessed to, to interview some people that really, well, they're top producers and they have the mentality of just how well they're going to serve their client. And I love that. But you've got, so what I started to say a little bit ago is, I mean, you've got an amazing business. So what is your primary role? What do you stay the busiest doing? You Are you still actively buying and selling? I mean, are you actually taking time to put this magazine together, decide what stories go into that? What all does Brandy do? Yeah, I do a lot. I'm still the top producing agent in the company, which depending on what your goals are in life, like for me, I have to be challenged. And real estate got too easy, honestly. So I do over a million a year GCI, which is insane, but I couldn't do that without the team behind me. So I really do have an amazing team. We attend all of our showings, you know, so there's a lot of extra time with that. But my life is meetings, a lot of meetings. So as far as the magazine, I do a final look at the postcards. I do a final look at the magazine. I do write some of our articles if they're from my perspective. I write an out of bounds article just on like adventures because I'm like backcountry skier, climber, whatever stupid thing my family has on the agenda at the time. And then, but then I'm also like systems and making sure that the company is growing. We just bought a brand new building. I'm doing the renovation on that, you know, hiring. And I've, I've quit hiring the people except for the people that work right underneath me. Like my team handles that now. I'm looking at financials. I'm analyzing, like we just redid our agent contract because the way we had it was so unbelievably cumbersome. I still deal with legal issues and I don't run the agent meetings anymore. My, my head um, of real estate, she runs that. So 
I've stepped back, I think, on touching everybody in the company, but I am still touching the assets. And I'm heavily involved in the tech development side, just in the sense that like, I'm approving all web page designs. So, so I, I would say anything that's graphic and customer facing or written, I'm still looking at and potentially touching. I'm trying not to touch it as much because honestly, it's super overwhelming. We have an outside firm doing a piece for us right now. I'm involved in that process. And I'm really focused on where the company's going next. So I am like partnerships and I, and I do work in the community with a lot of different people. Like I have three developments going in right now. So I've met with the town, you know, coming up with water solutions, you know, I give feedback on floor plans, pricing. So I try to do the bigger projects and then, yeah. And I still have to run the company. Last week we did an executive retreat with my real estate and lodging directors and my personal assistant, just trying to like nail all that down. Our marketer, he's not comfortable with COVID, but the rest of us went, half of them already had COVID. So we're clear, but <laughs> you know, just, there's a lot and yeah. So that's what I yeah. do. What do you feel like the future looks like for you? What do you want it to look like? I think that's like the million dollar question for everybody. <laughs> Like I want to leave a company that continues to do good. We do a lot of every, like I try to get all my agents to join a board for a nonprofit in the community. We just launched a nonprofit attached to the company uh, that will focus on overall betterment of the community. But I have two mainstays, like really children and open space trails, like making sure that access to the outdoors remains available. That's kind of the bonus of living in the mountains. You don't really want it to turn in the suburbs. So for me, going forward is really a company that can run without me, that I've passed on everything I know. Uh, I turned 50 in two years, which some people are like, that's old. Some people are like, it's not old at all. For me, I'm like... It's not really old at all to me because I'm 53. So it's not old at all to me. Yeah. And so you're kind of in this space, but I also feel like... Cause I, I, you know, I go out skiing with one of our buddies and he's just, you know, he started life a little later and he's so focused on money. But once you solve that money problem, then you have to solve like what brings me fulfillment and what do I want to leave behind? And that's really where I am mentally is like, I want the things we touch and the things we do to make the world a better place. And I want the people I work with to have all the knowledge I have and hopefully some of the ethos tied into their own that like what they have can be shared with others to make the community better. And so I want to see my company go on. And then we really, you know, with the technology we're going after, it will go into all ski towns. Like that's our, our goal. It's, it's resellable too. like any brokerage could use it, but, but it's really, it's got a lot of stuff based on lifestyle built into it that a lot of companies have tried to do. And it just, it's really hard to do. Like I, I understand why nobody's been super successful with it, but we're tying it to the real estate model, which changes it immensely. I'll make this the last question. What do you feel like has been one of the biggest challenges? And that could even be back to when you started in the business, but just even a failure that you've had that you had to learn from and and move on from any, you know, because I just think sometimes it's so inspiring and amazing to listen to, to the success that you've had and the intelligence that you have to just go into an area and go, I mean, for so many people would walk in and go, okay, this is a small town. There are too many agents here. What can I do? I don't think there's anything I could do to be, to stand out and be different. And I I mean, it's incredible what you've done, but I'm sure there've been some failures along the way. And, you know, and that's what I'd just love to know how you've grown beyond that. And please don't tell me you've not had any at all. (laughs) Oh no, I've had a ton. I've had many, many, many failures. You know, like that first partnership failed. The second, you know, I ended up losing both other partners. I think one of the more humbling experiences for me was going into the recession. So pre-recession, you know, I was having great success. I'd opened a construction company with some partners. We we had a couple specs going. I had acquired about 40 pieces of real estate. And you know, his values were moving so fast. So the thing, I think the thing that was most difficult for me is I worked through every single one of those deals. Like I didn't file bankruptcy. I had litigation with partners. I had, and it's funny. Cause like 
every partner afterwards, well, there were two I had litigation with, both came up to me and apologized like some five years later, right? Like I think in the recession, people want to blame people and I'm really happy and I'm really optimistic. And so I'm like, Hey, and I brought family in on some of these deals, which I've had to pay all of them back. (laughs) Cause I'm like, I never looked at the downside. So I think the biggest thing I learned out of that, and I, it was horrible. I, all the bills and all the crap that would come went into these huge black garbage bags because so I would just look at my husband and I'm like, I, I can't deal with that. Like, I just have to go to work. And I didn't shut my business down. Like we kept running and I got through every single one of those deals, every single battle with a partner. But like now I go into a relationship with a very different mindset and into a transaction. And that is what does the end look like? So there's two components. If I buy this building, right? We just bought a brand new building. What does the end look like? If I like the end in a worst case and best case scenario, it's okay. But if only the best case is a good one, I don't don't do it. And people are the same way. You bring in agents, you bring in people to work for you. Like, are they going to grow while they're here? And then you're going to be able to push them off and send them to the next great place as an ideal, or they're going to stay here and do great things for you. Or are they going to leave bitter and angry and try to steal your database? Yeah. You look at that and you're like, if I can see the possible ending here, I'm going to be miles ahead because there's no, there's no risk of disappointment, right? Like you've already considered that worst case. And I think as an optimist, which gives you so much power in business, the biggest blind side is just all the horrific pain that can come if you like totally misread what could happen. Cause there are things that are just entirely out of our control. Right. Absolutely. And thank you so much for just being vulnerable and sharing that. And I do think it is such an encouragement because I think sometimes we can look back at, or sit back and look at other people and think, oh, everything is just great for them. Why do I have to struggle, you know, getting, working through this? And man, you took me back through, I mean, I lived through that recession and, you know, and it was horrible. I had, you know, houses, rental properties and houses that I had built that were for sale. And, oh, it was a a nightmare in a very, very, very stressful time in my life. But so I thank you just for sharing, you know, what you gained from that and some really great points for anyone that's listening. So it's just been a great interview. And I just appreciate your time, Brandy, and all that you've shared with us. Well, thank you for the opportunity too. Like you've been awesome. And it's, it's fun to get to tell those stories because sometimes you really don't want to remember them, but <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Well, it's a good reminder of uh, that you can get through those hard times. So thanks, Brandy. Tell people where they can find you if they've got uh, someone wanting to come to Eden. In fact, I'm going to look it up. I've got a, a 35th anniversary in June and my husband and I've been trying to decide where to go. And I'm thinking, oh, I may need to go to Eden, Utah. It's fun. If you like trails and being outside, paddleboarding is good at that time, mountain biking, hiking. It's pretty awesome. But I will say our restaurants are not phenomenal in this valley, but 15 minutes away in Ogden, they're really good. We have like the best sushi anywhere. My brother just came out from California. He's like, I don't know why your sushi is so good here, but we have two amazing sushi restaurants. So that's our only week. Awesome. Awesome. So how do people find you? Brandy Hammond, mountainluxury.com. And they can also shoot us an email at brandi at mountainluxury.com and lodging or the mountainluxurylodging.com is the lodging site to come and stay. Yeah. I'm going to be looking that up myself. Thanks so much, Brandy. Appreciate it. Thank you, April. Have an awesome day. Well, I sure appreciate Brandy. And I know that you no doubt got something from this interview. Do me a favor and send some kind of uh, referral Brandy's way. If you happen to have anyone looking to buy in Utah in the mountains in some kind of uh, resort area, or if uh, you're just looking to get away, kind of like I was talking about going to Utah, maybe you can uh, look up one of Brandy's properties that she might have available for rent. I just loved the things that this interview brought to mind. And I was thinking about so many of the interviews that I do, the different people that I talk to, and no one is the same. Everyone does different things to market themselves, to prospect. And I really just want to encourage you to be you. 
you cannot copy exactly all the things that everyone does, and you really can't do everything well. Determine who you are. I um, really think of it as the ambitious edge. That's what I like to call it, because understanding who you are, what your strengths are, and how you work best. I have different friends named uh, Paula that are both, they're both named Paula. They both sell real estate. My one very long, good friend, uh, one of my very best friends is, I will call her Paula A. And she is just not a person that is going to put her face on a billboard. She's rarely going to put a picture of herself on social media. She is rarely going to ever post on social media. She's not going to promote herself as a real estate agent. However, if you hire her to work for you, she, no one would give you any better care. She cares deeply for her customers. She just cares deeply for people. She's going to treat them well. And she is not going to prospect in the same way that the other Paula that I know would prospect because that person is a big time marketing person. They both have successful businesses. So my point is you be you, just be genuine. If you are working through that, what's the best way for you to market yourself or the best way for you to prospect? What is going to be genuine to you? feel free to reach out to me. It is one of the things that I coach people through, coachaprilmack.com. I also use Berkman Assessments. If you're not familiar with that, look it up. It's one of the top best assessments that probably is out there. Top executives use it. will help you to understand your strengths. It will help you to understand really what stresses you out how you work in your strengths. And you know, when you work in your strengths, you're so much more productive. Just something for you to think about. Just, I say that to encourage you because I don't want you to feel like you have to do everything that you hear on these interviews. There's pieces and nuggets that you're going to get, I believe, from each one. So because of that, go ahead, subscribe, give us a good review, and please share with your friends. And I will look forward to being with you again in a couple of weeks on our next interview. Be blessed. I look forward to being with you next time.